You slaughter some things, though. I feel like you some. I'm sure that's going to come out here. When I talk about, you know, what, what Brad said, Brad, it was Brad Hubbard, you know, know. everything goes for, uh, and sermon illustrations, you can sympathize with that. And then incidentally, I was also slaughtering a pig in the last couple of days, so I was thinking about those. It all goes into the sausage. It all goes into the sausage. Nothing gets wasted. So, all right, let's pray. Father, thank you for, uh, thank you for life. Thank you for your provision and providence and for uh, bringing us together this morning to study your word, Lord, as we um, look at this, uh, frankly, frightening story of Nadab and Abihu. Give us a, a, fear, a deeper fear of the Lord and sense of your holiness, but also confidence that we can come before you through the blood of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, want to start with a, a little Sesame Street game. One of these things is not like the other, all right? Uh, what, which of these is out of place? Which of these is out of place? Let's see if you can, you can do this. C, D, B, L. Which one's out of place? L. How come? Should come before C. B. No, no curve. Oh. oh. That's what Court was going to say. All right. Yeah. Birdie, eagle, hawk. Birdie. Hawk. hawk. How come? Uh, there's our golf terms. Yes. All right. Three, five, eight, seven. Eight. How come? Even. No, well, the prime numbers. Um, okay. Red, orange, black, blue. Black. Black. How come? Because it's the absence of color. Ooh. The others are colors of the rainbow. And one last one. Fork, spoon, spork, knife. This is fun to say sport, let's be honest. A knife, because the others are used to put food in your mouth. No, I mean, you could use a knife, I suppose. You don't use a knife? <laughs> I know some people that do. Oh, yeah. I hate my feet for having a gun on my life. All right, but I start with this because what we're going to see in Leviticus 10, and part of the problem, what happens is this sacrilege, and the sacrilege is essentially that something is out of place, that the, the common has invaded the holy sphere, and then bad things happen. Before we get there, though, I need to just conclude one thing, and actually this is um, really fitting. I wanted to conclude just the last section of chapter 9. We didn't get there last week. So Leviticus 9, starting with verse 22, all right? I want you to pay close attention to what happens here, along with the benediction. So Leviticus 9, 22 says, Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Remember that, kavod, the incarnational presence of God. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted, ah, and fell on their faces. You can only imagine how terrifying that must have been in that moment. The fire comes out from the presence of the Lord and just consumes it. The Hebrew word is akal, which literally means to eat. It just ate it right up, the presence of the Lord. But it was a sign of God's blessing and that God was present with them. And what's interesting about how that happens in Leviticus 9, this is the institution of the, of the divine service, if you will. This is the beginning of the regular worship services. 
And that did not happen in that way every single time. It did not happen that every single time they offered sacrifices, there was the miraculous fire and glory of the Lord and it ate it up. Usually they were lighting the fire and the fire was incinerating it and um, um, eating up the sacrifices in that respect. But then, because that moment was connected with the benediction, the blessing spoken by the priest, it became, that blessing became the sign and the reminder ever after for God's people of God's abiding presence. That when they would hear the benediction, when they would hear the blessing, it was their indication that just as that one special time, God swallowed up the sacrifice by the fire. Now ever after, when we hear that benediction, it reminds us of how God continues to do it, albeit in a more hidden way, and an assurance that he continues to abide with us. He's still with us, even if it's not as, um, you know, as, as fantastic, spectacular as it was that first time. Does that make sense? And so it, it, that benediction becomes kind of an anchor, right, to their experience of God. And it's in keeping with what uh, God had said in Exodus 20. He said, an altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. Right? And you remember what the blessing was that Aaron would speak. You guys heard it a few minutes ago, right? In Numbers 6, it says, Thus you shall bless the people and put my name on them, it says. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you, etc. Um, and so that benediction became that reminder, that recollection of God's abiding presence. This is still the case for us, right? Because we do not get um, constant, regular, miraculous sightings of God's presence. It doesn't happen every single week. But think of the analogy here to the Lord's Supper. Because that first Lord's Supper, when Jesus instituted the meal, even as here in Leviticus 9, God's instituting the divine service. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper at the Last Supper, right, in the upper room, there he was in his physical presence with his disciples. He said, take it. This is my body. This is my blood. There he is, right there with them. This is tantamount to God swallowing up that sacrifice with that divine miraculous fire. So that now, ever after, as we receive the sacrament, no, we don't have Jesus' presence there in that same way where we're able to, to see him and touch him. But as we receive, we believe that he is present with us in, with, and under the bread and wine. We hook in that promise to what happened the first time it came about. See, I think that there's a, an analogy, a connection to be made there. But I, I just wanted to, to say those few words about Leviticus 9. But any questions or, or comments about that? Yeah, go ahead. Well, you said it was sh shouts of fear. I think so. Well, it says shouts of joy in here. Does it? Well, I think it's, it's shouts. I think that's an interpretation. That's just um, wondering if I... Yeah. They, they shouted. And so they, I, I think that afterward it was probably for joy. But at first, you see, you know, giant, you know, sacrifice off flambe. Opa! Right? Yo! Okay! You know, the slow clap afterwards. Like, wow. But at first, I mean, I think it was just, it was just shouts. I think they were pretty upset. Yeah. When they saw that stuff on Sinai. Yeah. Yes, exactly. They were terrified. It was like, like on Sinai. The presence of God and the flame and the fire. I'm uh, not sure they're relaxed around him. No, I'm not sure that they're relaxed. And it's about to get worse. <laughs> yeah, Carla. In the Exodus, 
is that unusual for it to be an altar of earth? Wasn't it usually of stones or something? Yes. What's that? Uncut stones. Uncut stones, right. So that was kind of the, the initial altar 1.0, if you will. I mean, actually, it goes back even further than that because you had the altars that were made by um, Abraham and you know, by Noah even before that. Um, but ultimately, yeah, it's going to be an altar of, of stone. So, yes. Uh, Leslie, did you have a question or comment? No, I was just going to say that um, it's gone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Well, any, any time the, the Lord appeared to them yes. in any form, whether it was an angel or whatever, yeah. it was do not be afraid. Exactly. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so Leslie's just pointing out, whenever God appears to his people, it's always a fearful moment. They're always freaking out. And so many times, that's what would why... You, what would we do? What <laughs> would we do? Same thing, totally. Ah! Oh, okay, great. Uh, but like I say, it's about to get worse. So let's get into that. Leviticus chapter 10. All right, so this is... Dull, I mean, again, you, don't, you know this, but just a reminder, the chapter... Um, headings and all this. This was inserted later, okay? This is not part of the original inspired scripture. So as it, it came to us, it was originally just, it goes right on. All right. They saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire or strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. All right. So here we are. Okay, we're instituting the divine service. Here it is, guys. This is exciting. God's fire. Whoa, that's some serious fireworks, right? And now, Nadab and Abihu, first one's up. Let's hear it for him. All right, hey, oh, we got this fire. Oh, do you got any uh, coals, Abihu? Oh, I'll just grab some over here. Just, let's get going. Let's do this. Da, 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 da. And the fire ate them up. It's the exact same phrase that showed up just a couple verses before in verse, nine, in verse uh, 24 of chapter 9. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering. Then, in verse 2 of chapter 10, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed, not the offering, them. them. Consumed them. All right, there's a lot to say here. Here's the first thing I, I want to just point out. Very obvious, but the source of blessing can also be one of bane. All right? It can also be a curse at the same time. Um, I mean, this is, and the analogy is right there with fire itself, right? Because is fire a good thing or a bad thing? Yes. Yes, right? <laughs> it can be absolutely life-giving, um, but it can also be death-dealing, right? If you've got a fireplace, good, good to have. If you have a fire not in place, not as good, right? Um, and so we get that same um, impression here with God's presence and his, and his work and his activity. It can be for their blessing or it can be for their bane depending on, well, depending on some different things. So what happens here? What exactly is going on? What is this strange fire or unauthorized fire? The most important thing about it is what's there in the, uh, the phrase that follows, which he had not commanded them, which he had not commanded them. 
So the most important thing to recognize is that they had in some wise done something that ran contrary to what God had told them, this is how to do it. Which seems, again, kind of nuts to me when God has like so belabored the point with here's how you do it and everything. But for whatever reason, Nadab and Abihu, are they just you know, kind of the rebels or what have you? Don't know for sure. We don't, we don't know a lot about these guys. Um, but suffice it to say, they um, apparently took some coals that were common rather than taking them from the altar, from what was holy. And when that common thing came in contact with God's holy thing, the reaction was <laughs> immolation for Nadab and Abihu, swallowed up. So it's strange fire, unauthorized fire. The, the Hebrew word simply means that it's, it's illicit. It's out of bounds. This is contrary to how God intended it for them to be, what he had commanded them. Um, which, kind of what Bob was saying a minute ago, would be uh, not the most confidence-inspiring thing, right? Like, oh, okay, how do we come before this God? And we'll see one immediate fallout from that in a, in a minute. But they're like, well, what, what are we to, to do here? And Moses says to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. I mean, Moses, this is Uncle Moses. No doubt he's grieving in this moment too. But he says, look, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Yeah. Whether it's common coals or is it they were stepping into the place of God. His fire was coming out from him. Mm-hmm. And they kind of countered with fire of their own, way out of place. It was his moment of glory, not theirs. Sure. I, yeah, that, that could be part of it, too. Did you guys hear what he said? Uh, that they are kind of stepping in, and in that way, the, the sin would be one of, of pride, in a way. Pride or, uh, yeah, they just, for that moment, flipped places with, or got on the wrong side of God. Sure. I, I don't want, that sounds awful, but. Well, I think, no, that's right. Yeah. They were acting like they were. They were sharing the glory with God. Yes, right. And among those who draw near to me, I will be sanctified. That's which the point. Is to say, I will be glorified I, yeah. through you, and not with you. Yeah. Or... It's not for you to take that place. Yeah. There's a presumptuousness in their in their actions. Whatever are the full, you know, nature of their motivations and so forth. There's a presumptuousness with how they came before the Lord. How much did they have to drink? Well. Is that blasphemy saying yes? Um, yeah, I would say, I mean, that in, uh, in some wise they had transgressed the first commandment here. Whether or not that other God was simply their own pride, their own sense of here's what we ought to do. But at the, at the most basic level, I think we, we do want to um, take seriously how it says they, they had transgressed this basic boundaries between the, the common and uh, the, the holy between what's clean and unclean, at the most fundamental level, they had just committed a sacrilege. Um, I mean, this, uh, why they did it and to what extent, we can't fully say, but at the most fundamental level, they committed sacrilege. One of these things is not like the other, right? It <clears throat> had brought some unauthorized strange fire, and this is, this is what happened to them. Yeah? Uh, it also mentions incense. Right. Now, incense... They were commanded to make it in a particular way. Uh-huh. Uh, again, it doesn't say that's what they used here. But, right. Uh, you know, oh, we're burning rose flowers today. Yeah, uh, right. I've got some myrrh instead myrrh, of some, yeah. yeah. Um, and it, I, I want to say it's in Exodus 30. God also <laughs> warns against, um, it, with the same word, of having strange 
incense. And some people have thought, is that is that what this is referring to here? Um, I'm not sure exactly where that, it's in Exodus 30 somewhere. But um, it but it seems to be the coals itself and not the the incense per se. So that that thought of like yeah they're taking the Lord's fire and making it about their their fire uh, is, is suggestive to me. But yeah, Eileen. I, I always read this like Bob was saying it was like okay I could see them getting caught in the moment. This is exciting. Yes. I'm going to go up there and get fire and right. glory. And was there thinking of the glory for them? I'm going to go up there and do it for people who think I'm awesome, sure. or they do it for God. And it makes me think of when if you're in church, be so careful about how you're doing stuff. If you're singing, are you singing? Thinking, oh, people are saying how good I'm singing. Right. Or is it to praise God? I mean, yeah. that's such a fine line. And I think most people are doing it for God. But there's, I think, a lot of churches. Well, we know when they're not. Because God, Emily, you know, <laughs> like, strikes them down. No, but I. Boy, I'm being Yeah, no, I, I think, I think this is. This I know from a church that we used to go to, it was more, let's listen to the band. Sure. Let's listen to praising God. I mean, that's how we felt. Well, I think, and we, we kind of um, uh, litigated this a little bit over the last couple of weeks, how um, I think in any kind of form, you can get caught into that thing where it, it's about me, whether it's high church, low church, whatever. Like, you can be like, oh, look at, who is the most holy or pious? Like, this would happen at the seminary sometimes, right? You would almost get like, oh. Fun, fun know, story. Uh, I were in chapel one okay. time. And they were just teaching the deep bow, you yes, know, right. it's kind of a new thing. Yes. And anyway, this rather heavy set guy bowed right in front of Priscilla and he was down so long she leaned over to give him the <laughs> Was he okay? He was having a heart attack. He was having a heart attack? <laughs> I mean, he was way down there. Yeah. In the... See, yeah, it's like a limbo. How low can you go? So, but to your point, Eileen, like, yeah, that they're, I mean, this could have naturally kind of gone to their head. You're, we're the first ones that are, are going up there and lose sight of what it's, what it's really about. And yeah, this continues to be an issue. But we have to remember, like, God's character does not change. And he does not strike us down in the same way mercifully. But remember, it says in Hebrews 12, Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. That's still God's character, all right? So he's not just like, hey, buddy guy, like, how's it going, pops? Like, our God is a consuming fire, and it is appropriate for us to come before him with reverence and awe, with gratitude, not fearful in a contrast like a servile fear or the fear of the the servant who just thinks he's going to get a whooping, but it's the the fear of the child. It's a filial fear, right? It's the, the fear of the child recognizing that uh, our Heavenly Father is one who's not to be messed with, who is good, but is not safe, not in the way we usually think of that. Yeah. So, uh, and then also I just had a, a, a thought, I think we've mentioned this before, but just that kind of duality of how it can be both blessing and vain. This verse from 2 Corinthians 2, Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Same fragrance, you know, but it's received differently because of the, where people are at, in their hearts, in their souls, in their minds. 
Um, and so likewise, um, here there's that dual duality of it. I don't want to belabor the point, but are there any other contemporary examples of strange fire that, that this immediately brings to your mind? You're like, oh, this is something we need to kind of watch out for, things that we're like, oh, what are ways we don't want to smuggle in what's common before what, uh, what's holy? I don't have anything in particular in mind here, but I thought it'd be worth throwing out. I mean, out it's a posture of prayer. Yes, yeah. Not come before the Lord in prayer. Right. And not mix grace with works. Don't, I mean, that's yeah. It's huge. Yeah, it's yeah. huge. To come into his presence, you come with nothing. And right. as soon as I bring something with me, it's yes. a strange fire. Yeah, that's really well put. That Nothing in my hand I bring, right? Simply to thy cross I cling. And so it's strange fire anytime we come before God, kind of bartering with him on the basis of our righteousness and our good works. Yeah, good. Other thoughts, things that this makes you think of or, you know, want to be beware of? Sandy, you look like you want to say well, something. Well, I mean, Bethel Church. I, I don't know. Oh. Uh, something we should Redding, don't need to get Redding, into. Redding, California. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Anyway, charismatic, charismatic. Okay, charismatic yeah. type, type stuff. Um, I was just thinking of also maybe um, just praying and praying in the name of Jesus. Like sometimes um, this will be a thing, especially in kind of public settings, where um, people will be afraid to pray in, in the name of Jesus, or you know, or you'll hear people pray in the name of all sorts of weird things, right? Um, but you know, when we come before the Lord, we come. Make no mistake, on, by virtue of the blood of Jesus Christ, and that's it. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus. That's like that's our our passcode, and it's not not in a um, kind of mechanic mechan, mechanistic sort of way. But like we always are praying and coming before the throne of God's grace only by virtue of, of Jesus. And so that's why we're always praying in the name of Jesus, as he himself told us to do. So I think it's something to think about. And it gives us sort of a, a paradigm, a way of thinking, yeah, I don't want to come before the Lord with the strange fire, but as he has, has taught us and commanded us. All right, let's go on from, from there. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Chip. It seemed like if you look at Jesus in the New Testament, he's criticizing, because the Pharisees were very much concerned about doing it right. Sure, right, yes. They're very much concerned about not having the strange fire there. Yeah. But Jesus doesn't seem to say to them, hey, guys, be like these guys who are who are working really hard to get it right, right, right. in worship. He's glorifying the guy who, as Bob put it, he brings nothing right. to the table. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, so this is, this is good. So Chip points out, like, in Jesus' ministry, he would seem to run counter to this in some ways because, wait a second, the Pharisees are the ones who are real you know, punctilious and fastidious about uh, keeping all of the, the rituals. But Jesus cuts to the heart of the matter, right? You think of when he's talking to the Samaritan woman. If ever there was somebody who was uh, unclean and unable to come before God, but what does Jesus say? God is searching worshipers who will worship him in what? Spirit and in truth, right? Um, and I think of Psalm 51. Um, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. And that, I think Jesus picks up that, that strain of Old Testament tradition to say, look, it's not just about you know, getting your X's and O's right, but ultimately it's about the heart and coming before him with a, a right posture of the heart. Yeah. Uh, what you would talk about today, this, this fire, this, you know, Describing God as not loving, cuddly. You know, C.S. Lewis uh, writes in uh, Nar Nar Hold that thought. We're going to come back to that. I know what you're going to say. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're dealing with the Lewis family. Exactly. 
Hans and I are on the same, are on the same uh, wavelength, so we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, all right, let's go to the, the next passage here, because this is so interesting. You think kind of um, uh, heartless. It's like, all right, verse 4, Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron. So this would be the cousins of, of Aaron, of, uh, or of Nadab and Abihu. Uh, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, don't let the hair of your heads hang loose and don't tear your clothes, lest you die and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled and don't go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. Okay, so what's the deal? What's the problem here? Why does it say, don't let the hair of your heads hang loose? Don't tear your clothes? When, when would somebody let their hair hang down and, and tear well, their clothes? It was a sign of mourning. It was a sign of mourning, exactly. So, wait a second. They've just had this calamity. They've just had these two priests, Aaron's sons, have died. Now, why is God saying, no? So don't, don't go about with that, that posture of mourning. What, what do you think he's trying to convey to them here? So first, are they carrying the dead bodies out? Yes. Okay. Yep. Um, so I was... I cousins mean, are. Yeah, the cousins are. The cousins are. Yes. can't yeah, touch them. Sure, like they're, they're carrying them. So. Yep. The priests can't touch them. Can't touch them. That's right. And that's going to come up in, in, in a moment, too. It's, uh, well, I mean, this is... I think that uh, God's conveying to them, look, don't grieve in a way that suggests, oh, this is such a sad, unfortunate thing that occurred. That, oh, this, you know, uh, it's too bad. What a mean old God we have. You know, those poor, nice boys, Nadab and Abihu, they were just trying to go up there. And God wants to get out in front of that right now and say, no, no, no. Look, if you want to grieve, if you're going to bewail, bewail this fire that has kindled, been kindled, bewail and repent of your own presumption and uh, uh, your own sin, but don't mourn the fact that these men died. At least don't mourn in the way, make, make that show of it, because this, this is what naturally came to them. And in this way, it, it brings home to us, <laughs> it says in, in Romans and elsewhere, the wages of sin is death. Like, don't try to um, act as though God just ought to be kind of soft peddling his law and his judgment. No, instead, you don't grieve the way that others grieve. See? It's a hard word. It's a really hard word. Uh, but I think it's an important one for us as Christians to recognize, yeah, we're going to look at these things differently, that we're not going to, to mourn, to weep and wail the way that the world does. I was in um, Haiti on a mission trip with my um, home church growing up, and we were in just this um, kind of little rural village, and we hear this awful sound, just this kind of um, ear-splitting screaming coming down from you know maybe a quarter of a mile away. It's getting closer. And it's this procession of people who are just like, ah! I mean, like these cries that I'd never heard before. And I asked you know, one of the people that we were with, it's like, well, what's, what's going on here? What's happening? And they're like, this is a, a voodoo funeral. And uh, one of the members of their community had died, and this is the, the traditional way that they, that they carry it about, is just with this 
utter like um, sickening kinds of, of cries. And I thought, wow, okay, that's pretty intense. Uh, but as Christians, we do not grieve that same way, right? Doesn't mean that we don't mourn. Doesn't mean that we, we aren't heartbroken when somebody dies, uh, but that we recognize, it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. We have a hope-filled grieving. Yeah. Uh, overseas, um, we had a new village come to Christ, the first seven families, and within a month of the baptism of the families, a little, little child, um, Irene died. She was maybe six months old, died of basically call it consumption. But the funeral came our next visit, like the day after the child had died. So we were there to do the funeral and probably half a dozen or so of the folks from the, from the station helping to plant the church. Anyway, it was a month later, her grandfather, who was a pagan priest, came up to us when we were there and says, can you teach me to sing the way you do mm. the death of a child? Wow. Can you, can you teach me to sing, sing the way, the you, way do you do at the death, at of, the death a of a child? Wow. Yeah. And that's what brought him to and Christ. And that's what brought him to Christ. the way we sang yep. his grandchild's grave. Wow. Because you grieved, but not as those who have no hope. Yeah. What a witness that is. Wow. That's a powerful story. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Didn't they also hire mourners? Yeah, so I mean, you see that too. And um, I, I don't know the, all the details of that, but I've heard about that as well, that by the time of, of our Lord, that you've got mourners who come along, you know, you've got the, the little girl and, oh, she's not dead, but she's sleeping. And, they're, oh, and then they, all of a sudden they're laughing because apparently they're hired hands and they're, oh, <laughs> um, are able to quickly make that, make that change. Yeah, right, exactly. It's lost their salary. But in practice, then, what does, how does this look different for us as Christians? I think uh, Bob mentioned one thing that we do differently, which is we sing, right? We, we sing at funerals. We sing when we're grieving. Our song might be in a minor key, but we don't, we don't stop singing and celebrating that God still has the victory, even in the midst of, of our mortal life and the losses we have. But what are, are there other ways that you think of that we, that we grieve differently as Christians? We grieve from hope. We grieve from hope. <coughs> other, other thoughts? Well, we grieve because we've lost, we've lost something. Sure. Someone. But like Bob says, we also have that hope. Right. You yeah, know, we're, we're we're happy for them because they're in a better place. Sure, as they say, you know. right? But I, yeah, no, we're, it's we're sad because they're not here yeah. anymore. So it's uh, it's that both end. end. Yeah, right. And I think we also end up comforting other people. Yeah, and I think that's that you yeah. can't do that in your own strength. Yeah, you that's right. Yeah, that's right. So it said we we comfort other people with it says in Second Corinthians one with the comfort that we ourselves have received. Right, we comfort others. Yeah, Esther. I think you know, going along with the hope, you know, Peter says to be uh, ready to give an account to the hope sure. that is within you. Yeah, that's right. And so it's an opportunity. Um, and, and I don't know every funeral I've been at, even my own parents, yeah. it was an opportunity to witness to the hope that we had. Sure, right. And, and um, 
that kind of make it all worth it. Mm. You know, the pain that you go through and everything, if, it, if it's an opportunity for someone else to be saved through that, mm. you know, more reason to rejoice. So that's a great perspective to have. Yeah. Yeah, Sandy. Oh, well, and it, for me, it was, it's also a reminder of um, grieving the effects of sin. Yes, we're, yeah. We're groaning. We're, we're groaning. We're grieving the effects of sin. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. So that the, the It's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way it's supposed to be. That's right. And I, I think it is important for us to say that as believers, um, neither is there like a right way to grieve. Like the worst thing in the world is to kind of lay it down and to make other believers feel guilty. Like, hey, you should not be grieving this way. Like, no, that's not, that's not the point here at all but that we are able to have hope in the midst of our grief, right? And to know this is not the end. I talked with Davina this morning, and I mentioned in the prayers, you know, Virgil is, is not doing well, and they intubated him. And, but what she said to me, what she said, I know that this is going to end well. Either he's going to recover, or he's going to be in the arms of his father. And that's, that's the diff- that makes all the difference in the world, right? Yeah. Having that posture and attitude. Yes, we grieve. Yes, we, we, we weep and lament, but ultimately we have hope in the midst of all of it. Yeah. Good. Any other reflections or thoughts on that? Okay. Well, a few more things here because then all the rest of this chapter in Leviticus 10 is really reflecting on what happened to Nadab and Abihu. And then God wants to reiterate their commission, their job description as priests. So verse 8 Uh, The Lord spoke to Aaron saying, drink no wine or strong drink. And the word there for strong drink I was reading is basically referring to beer. Okay, sorry guys. Um, (laughs) You or your sons with you when you go into the tent of meeting lest you die. All right, it's your day off. You do your own business. But when you're coming, you're serving in the the, uh, um, tabernacle, you're not to be doing it under the influence. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. Here's the key thing. You're to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord spoken to them by Moses. Okay? Uh, so here it's a twofold commission that God's priests have. Very straightforward. First of all, distinguish what's holy from all that's unholy. Okay? Say, this is of the Lord, this is not of the Lord. Just to put it as as simply as possible. And secondly, teach God's decrees to his people. Teach the people. That kind of catechetical role we don't think of as much as belonging to the priests in the Old Testament. You think more of the prophets being the the teachers, the proclaimers of God's word. But the priests had this role as well, to teach the people. And in many respects, I think I have a quote here from from John Kleinig, a, a great author, commentator on Leviticus, who says, in a sense, the book of Leviticus itself is the reflection and the fulfillment of this uh, charge that was given to God's priests, right? This, what is it doing? But it's laying out, this is what we are doing. This is why we are doing. This is why we go through all, all of these different things. Um, I shared on, on your handout also, um, <clears throat> this is a, a little um, table or diagram, uh, again, from uh, John Kleinig's commentary on Leviticus, which just helps to kind of visualize um, so on the one hand, on the left-hand side, you have what's holy and clean, okay? God's holy presence works in that direction, light, life, heaven, so forth. 
And sanctification, purification works in that direction. It's becoming more holy, becoming cleaner. In the middle, you have the clean and the common. This is kind of a neutral space, as it were. So these are things that are, have not been brought and sanctified into God's presence, but could, in principle, be used in that way. But then on the right-hand side, what's common and what's unclean, right? So this is what happens. Uh, this Satan's and, and demons at the, at the far side. Sin is over there. Darkness, death, hell, and the direction of desecration and defilement is making something unclean and common. When we talk about, uh, we use the word profanities, right? Uh, a profanity isn't just a four-letter word. It's something that's profaning conversation, right? It's, I mean, you could say in a sense it's, it's profaning the person who speaks it, or the person who, who hears it. Making We are uh, created as God's creatures meant to be holy, but profanities, to, in, in some respect, uh, desecrate that. I don't want to sound too puritanical about this, but you understand this is the idea, and that's why we call them profanities from at that root kind of sense. Okay? Um, questions about that, about that diagram or that kind of basic distinctions that are made there? The, um, and the two, two ways that kind of go along with this too is you might think of it as like there's sort of a, the theological dimension and the, the human dimension. Both of these matter. But the, the theological dimension is, is it holy or common? And then kind of more the human dimension is, is it clean and un, unclean? Both of those matter. But there isn't a, um, so wondering, well, why isn't this a kind of, you know, a four-box matrix? But there isn't a holy and a common. Um, that, that wouldn't happen because it would be, um, you, it, it's made holy. Right, so holy and clean, or clean and, and common. But questions about that, or the job of the priest? I think what's interesting to think about then. Um, yeah, what I was there is were they drunk? <clears throat> okay, Nadab and Abihu. So um, Bob's question: Were they were they drunk? Was that the the problem? And probably not. More likely the case, and why this is brought up right here, is because as people were mourning their death. They would have, oh, what was it called? The cup of consolation. The cup of consolation, which would be, I mean, that was a, a customary part of the, the mourning process. You have the, the cup of consolation. We have something similar with like a wake, right? I was thinking a good stiff drink. But... A good stiff drink, yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. And uh, that could be why that's brought up here, because, again, you're going to be tempted to drink your sorrows away, at the sadness of this, this loss and all that comes along with it. Um, but that's more kind of conjecturing uh, there. But uh, just reflecting on uh, how pastors and the priesthood of the baptized continue to have this tradition and that commission, that job description of distinguishing what's holy from what's unholy, looking at the, at the world and with uh, a prayerful sense of spiritual discernment. This is what it says in uh, Romans 12, a verse that we've brought up many times that um, offer yourselves as living sacrifices with having your minds transformed, right? So that you may be able to discern what is approved of God, what is excellent, so that you're able to make that kind of spirit-filled discernment. Is this of the Lord or is this not? These are the kind of decisions that we're making every single day where you don't always have a thus saith the Lord, like, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, just to give an easy kind of commonplace example, should we watch this show or this movie, right? Is this something that's okay or not? 
if you've never seen it before, you don't necessarily know. And you know, as parents, we go to websites like Common Sense Media or something like this that say, yeah, you know, but there isn't one on there like, okay, is it clean or unclean, right? <laughs> is this okay or, or is this not? It takes some spirit-filled discernment. Um, we're making those, we're navigating that all the time. And we never get it totally right, but this is part of what we do as parents and as, as godparents and grandparents. But then also, um, I mean, it's part of what, what pastors do too, to faithfully lead God's flock and say, this is the Lord, this is not, this is the direction we want to go, this isn't. Um, as well as the teaching side of it too, of course. The teaching, here's God's ways, here's God's, God's word. But any other our thoughts or questions or reflections? Yeah, yeah Priscilla. I think when you're talking about the priesthood and how you care for it, I think we have to be careful too because last week conversation and a little bit this today is there are some things that I think we feel we are judging and it's still um, of the Lord, mm -hmm. maybe strange fire to us. Yeah, right. The lifting up of holy hands is in scripture. Yeah, sure, right. Um, but I know that because it's not a common practice, yep. people do, others could look and say, oh, that's, you know, right. attention. Or, and we have to be careful that, that we are not... Um, in our zeal to be pure. Yes, for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. Uh, it's an important caveat, as Priscilla's saying, like um, we're not called to be zealously pure, much less to go around as kind of the, the purity police, right? Of, well, you know, uh, again, to go back to parents, like, oh, uh, your, your kids should not be watching this thing, or how dare you, Sesame Street, those godless pagans over at PBS, like how dare you allow that, right? That's, that's not our job to, um, you know, kind of take that under a, our, our own powers and say, yeah, you should not, not be doing that. Before their own Lord, they stand or fall on these sorts of things where it's not what we call adiaphora, where it's the things that are neither commanded nor forbidden in Scripture. We don't have to go around and say, you should be doing this, you shouldn't be doing this. Um, that's strange fire. Like, we can let that stand before the Lord. For our own selves, we want to start there and search our own heart and say, okay, um, how am I? How am I doing? Recognizing again that ultimately our purity and our acceptance is not based on us and how well we make those distinctions, but on what Christ has already has already done for us. So, any last thoughts or reflections on that? Okay, lot here. We're gonna uh, continue to unpack chapter ten. Uh, in two weeks then, because next week uh, we won't have Bible study. Hope that you enjoy Thanksgiving holiday. Family and I are going to um, go downstate and, and see, spend some time with, with my family down there for a couple of days. Be here on Sunday, uh, but we won't have Bible study next week. However, we will have, we mentioned in the service, uh, a little time to recognize Larry Went. And so I hope you guys will join us for that. He's been an usher for more than six decades. So uh, it's a cool thing. It, it means a lot to him. So I uh, look forward to seeing you guys. Oh, yeah, Carla, go is ahead. Is there a Thanksgiving Eve service? There is not. No. Yeah. Yeah. Not a, not a Thanksgiving Eve service. So I don't know if that um, breaks anybody. churches in the area having Thanksgiving I don't know. Uh, I'll, if I, I'll find out if uh, anybody, if any other churches are having a Thanksgiving Eve service. Um, but I do know that uh, I'm planning and, and Connie are putting out um, a devotion, videotaping kind of thing for, is that a, do people say videotaping anymore? Um, um, to, uh, to post, they'll be available on, on Thanksgiving morning too. But. All right. Thank you guys. God be with you. Thank you. Thank you.